Welcome to Inside India by UTI International. I'm your host, Ben Haywood. Join me as I embark on an exciting journey through the new and modern India. From the Dabawalas to the Tatas and the Ambanis, let's see what the future may hold for the world's largest democracy. In this series, we feature conversations with business and economic leaders who have lived and breathed the story of India as they tell us their version of what makes this such a compelling and exciting growth opportunity in the 21st century. Stay tuned. Emerging medtech solutions have the potential to create holistic and inclusive healthcare ecosystems, especially in a country like India. From the startups to the established tech giants, new innovations and emerging players in health technology are challenging healthcare organizations to redefine and reimagine the way they deliver value and care to patients. As of 2021, India continues to import over 75% of its medical devices from overseas. And with the emergence of an entire ecosystem of medical technology players in India, this statistic has the potential to be turned on its head. The Indian medical device sector is embracing futuristic technologies and paving the way in growing trends like telemedicine, digital medicine and personalised medical devices. In today's episode, I am delighted to be speaking with Hermanchu Bade, Managing Director and Co-Founder of Polymedicure, one of the fastest growing medical device companies in India with a wide range of more than 125 different types of products and has successfully been granted more than 215 product and process patents globally. Himanshu's story of rags to riches, leaving the comforts of his family plastics business in Jaipur to branch out and build his own company from scratch was a risk that would resonate with thousands of budding Indian entrepreneurs. This was of course high risk, but for me, this is one of the great success stories of the Indian healthcare sector over the last 20 years, and Himanshu's work with Polymed has helped put India on the MedTech map globally. I'm Ben Haywood, and you're listening to Inside India. Welcome, Himanshu. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you, Ben. I think it's really a pleasure to talk to you guys, and I'm, this is my first postcard, so I'm really excited to talk to you, everyone. Great stuff. Well, I'm sure it would be the first of many. But um, let's take it back to the beginning, Himanshu, because it's a fascinating story as to how you got started with Polymedicure. Perhaps you could talk our listeners through the early days of the business, and then I guess what the business is best known for today, just to set the scene. So Ben, I'll take you back to around 25 years ago, when I was in Jaipur and working in my family business with my uncles and my cousins. And uh, I'm an engineer, electronic electrical engineer. And I was getting stifled and frustrated in the family business. And my brother, younger brother Rishi, was doing his master's in US. And he was a bit younger to me by four years. And I decided at that time that I really wanted to do something of my own and start a new company. And we were into plastics business anyways. You know, my family business was making different type of plastic products. So we looked at this idea of making consumable medical devices and something which was, in terms of process, was similar, but uh, different in manufacturing and and assembly and sterilization, all that medical stuff we had to do there. So I branched out uh, of the family and one day I decided to quit that and move to Delhi. I moved with nothing in my pocket. And by the time I was married in, in India, you get married a bit early. So I was married when I was 24. And I had my first son, who was nine months when I moved to Delhi. 
or with almost nothing in my pocket and went to a lot of people with this idea of making medical products. And everybody said, you're crazy because in India, nobody uses consumable devices, all reused. The syringes were reused in hospitals. And a lot of medical devices were coming from overseas. And Indian companies didn't have that quality or they were not known for quality and they were not known for making medical products. You were on the very few people who had this idea to make medical products in India. So it took a while. And for me, with zero capital in pocket, I went to friends and family. We borrowed money at around 33% to 36% at that time and went to banks because we didn't have any security or guarantee to offer. So they also offered to loan us the amount at around 21% interest rate, bank interest rate. And it was very tough to get this money in and, and start the project. We were still short of money. And then again, went to some venture funds and they said, okay, we can invest in your company, but you have to go for an IPO. And I said, we're not even a, a company which is ready making anything and you want us to go for an IPO. So, but we had no choice. So we went for a very small IPO and in today's terms, it was only $75,000 uh, we had asked for. As a part of that IPO, total IPO size was around $300,000. And we could not even get even one-time subscription, very hard to get the $75,000. So nobody knew us in Delhi. So from there, we got that initial money, got some money from venture funds, and then the borrowed money we took from friends and family, the money from the bank. The project started in 97. And there were nights I used to sleep in the factory because we didn't know where we were heading, the products we decided to make. There was some missing technical know-how because we didn't have money to pay for technical know-how to people. So everything was developed in-house, a lot of experimentation, a lot of hidden trial. And a lot of internal, let's say, development was done to make these products. And I would say initial four or five years were very, very tough because when you went to Indian market, nobody was ready to buy a product because they didn't want to try a new company and new medical device, which didn't have any clinical efficacy or trial done in India. And finally, a very few hospitals accepted our products and we were still struggling. And we went to some trade shows, exhibitions, People start seeing us as a company which could make some new medical devices. And they started buying in small quantities for overseas markets. And that's how we got entrance into many markets at that time. I would say 2002, 2003 was a real time and we started getting orders from customers. So it took us almost five years to that initial struggle period to get out to the world and say that we can really make good products. And... It was a big struggle because regulatory requirements are very different in every country. The regulatory requirements of India were not there at all because India was not a regulated market. So we didn't know whom to approach for regulatory clearances, for regulatory, let's say, advice. So it was a completely, I would say, roller coaster ride. Yeah, it sounds like to me you were in a greenfield opportunity and trying to pave a path, effectively starting from nothing and almost hustling a little bit like a startup founder. But I think to me, I think one big takeaway was the hard work you put in to, to run this, start this company. It was a pure startup, I would say, with zero capital supported by different people. But at the end, I think, and then for me, it was a point of no return. I couldn't go back to the family because I told my family, I'm leaving you guys. I'm not going to come back again. And if this project didn't succeed, what I was doing in Delhi, I think I would have been on the streets, on roads, because I had even no money to pay back the people I had borrowed money from. So it was a hard start, but with a point of no return. 
so it was always on back of my mind that i have to succeed and if i don't succeed i don't know what is going to happen to me so it was really that period of struggle and i think still that conviction that we can do something because we were educated we were engineers my brother was engineer i was engineer and we had the conviction to do something really different in our life so that's how we started yeah absolutely what was the product mix in the very early days and how has your product selection changed over the course of time see initially it was just finding some products in the market which were used in hospitals and we went to few hospitals asked them what they really use and which brands they are using so we took samples of those brands brought them back to the factory did reverse engineering and started opening them up understanding what to do how to do asking a lot of people on the way how we could make this products and i think that initial start was with iv catheters and some consumables used in hospitals and they were basic products and that's how we started the journey and i think what we learned during this journey was that in medtech industry that only two things count and that is quality and innovation so if you don't have quality nobody is going to touch your product and if you don't innovate if you don't bring out differentiators in your products nobody is going to give you a way a right of way so if you're on a hospital the doctor is already using a medical device or a consumable product or a nurse but they will not change until you can convince them otherwise that this product is better or it has got something more to offer than what they are using right now so with that two things in mind we always whenever we looked at a product we looked from the quality perspective how consistently we can produce this product and how we can benchmark with the best in the world and the second point is how we can put in some small differentiator so that we have something to talk to a clinician or a nurse when we put this product out in the hospital and i guess that's been the kind of core philosophy for your business throughout the last 20 25 years correct that's what i can say and i think in the early days you alluded to it just there your main clients actually came from overseas as you said they weren't hospitals in india i think some of the criticisms perhaps leveled at india in the past probably wrongly is poor quality cleanliness might be an issue so when you were traveling abroad in the early 2000s selling your products to hospitals and companies here in europe or outside of india how did you push back against these concerns and questions what was your experience of having to tackle that head on i think ben this is a great question so i think for us a lot of learning came from customers so customers always teach you a lot of so you have to always open your mind and see what they are saying and you have to be open to the criticism open to the advice open to what is happening around you and you have to quickly learn so i think we were able to adapt very quickly to what we saw outside when we visited factories of customers because a lot of our customers were also manufacturers themselves so when we visited their plants we saw what good things they were doing what gmp standards they were following for manufacturing of medical devices and what was missing in our plants for example what kind of clean rooms they had what kind of air conditioning systems they had what kind of air filtration systems they had what kind of protocols they were using when people were entering the manufacturing area so all that stuff we learned on the job learned from our customers learned from people who were associated with us right from the beginning in this industry you always keep on learning because that's the beauty of medtech industry that every day you have something new to look at new to learn in terms of protocol in terms of devices in terms of new regulation so that learnings we brought back to india 
we upgraded our facilities. So today we have eight manufacturing plants, five in India and three outside India. So every plant, when we were making a new plant, but we were upgrading the old one too simultaneously. So I think that trust we could generate from, and when customers were visiting India, when they saw the infrastructure and when they could match it with what they had back home in those countries, I think that is where the trust started building more and they started buying more products from us. That makes total sense. And I guess once you have them hooked, once you're able to bring them to India and show actually it's not like that at all, look what we've built, I guess everything feeds off from there. So unfortunately today, time permits us from taking a real deep dive into the full story of Polymedicure because it is a fascinating one. So if you could take us to the point in 2010 when you had built the business to the point, I guess, where you were getting overseas recognition, you were winning some big contracts, you'd partnered with a couple of, I think, US-based health tech and med tech firms, and you were scaling up. But in 2013, these US-based partnerships fell away and you decided to refocus the business and recenter your attention on India, make the business more scalable in India. What was the change in direction for Polymed at that point, And how did you arrive at that decision? So I'll take you a few years before 2013. So I think in 2010, we got approached by two large American companies, Medtech companies. And one was Covidian, which was merged later into Medtronic, which is the largest Medtech company in the world today. And then one was Fenwall, which was again an offshoot of Baxter. Again, one of the largest companies in the world in medical technology. And we were so excited to work with these companies. And we learned a lot during this process of three years working with them. And unfortunately, in 2013, both these companies got sold to new investors. So Covidian got sold to Medtronic, and which is uh, the largest company in the world. And then uh, Fenwall got sold to Fresenius, which is also one of the largest medtech companies in Europe today. So with this change in guard, I think, and you're absolutely correct, but the first question you put through that they were not convinced about India, the new suitors. They were not sure what they want to do in India. And because of lack of regulatory practices and lack of regulation, lack of markets, they were not ready to continue these contracts. And for us, this was a very big heartbreak because we worked very hard to get these two contracts in the company and worked like day and night because we were working in two time zones. Both the companies were in the US. So we used to work in our Indian time zone and then the US time zone. So we had these calls starting at like six o'clock in the evening till midnight. And talking with these people all the time, the engineers talking to the quality folks, the regulatory folks, people, you know, like the management team were talking. So it was a great connect. But yes, it was a big heartbreak. But I think for us, there was a big learning. As a company, we learned how these large companies worked. We learned to fine-tune a lot of our processes inside because these companies taught us a lot of good things and on the way. And we said, okay, do we really need a big shoulder to, let's say, put our hand on, or can we do it on our own? And I think that was a defining year, defining moment for us. We said, let's do it on our own. Because we have learned a lot of things, and it will be very hard to build into a new relationship because we will think 10 times before getting into a new relationship. So why not do it on our own? And I think then, by that time, India started opening up in terms of technology, in terms of expansion of the market, and then insurance was more deeply you know, penetrated into India. So with all that, I think the demand for medical consumables and devices started to increase in India. And at this time, we said, okay, we are already selling our products to many countries. Why not 
we look at India more deeply. So we started expanding our reach in a local market by putting more people on the ground, investing more on the clinical side of the business. We hired, started hiring more clinicians. And I think the biggest change I would say was hiring more clinical people. Earlier, we were just known as a product company. Okay, we can make medical devices. But when we started talking to people more on the clinical evidence, that okay, if you use my device, this is what a patient is going to get in terms of, let's say, ease of use. The device is going to stay longer in the patient's body. The biocompatibility is better. There's less chance of infection happening. So when you started talking in the medical language, from just being a product supplier to a company which could make, let's say, lower price products, good quality but lower price. So we had to remove that tag. The only way you could remove that tag is getting into the clinical side of the business. And we started investing there, I think, that is where people started recognizing Polymed as a as a company to also, let's say, talk to when they were buying medical devices. Earlier, you were only called for tenders or negotiations when they said, okay, we want a cheap product. But finally, when you started talking more on that side of the clinical side, we were then compared with the top brands in the world. I think that was, was a big change. It took a while to happen. It's not that it happened overnight. We had to build that whole structure over from 2014, I would say, till date, we are still building it, I would say, bringing more doctors on advisory board, listening to doctors, what customers think about us, what do hospitals really need, what hospitals think when they buy medical devices, what are they looking at actually, rather than going upfront and telling them this is what we can offer. So seeing from the other side, I think that helped us a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And in terms of what you're best known for today, I think you have is it something like a fifth of IV catheters in the world are made by your company? What is your product mix today and how has that evolved over the last few years? So Ben, I think you're right, absolutely. See, we have got today a specialized business in infusion and vascular access. So anything which goes in the veins is what Polymed is doing. So now we are offering a full complete basket of products for a hospital in vascular access business. So whether it is accessing your stental veins or peripheral veins, we offer everything now to the customer. So what has changed is, and I'll tell you why we have got so far in this business is, every time when we were, when we started with this product actually 24 years ago, when we started our company, but every time we have been upgrading this product to the next generation. And that is where R&D innovation plays a very important role. So as you go to your customer with the upgraded product, he's more excited to talk to you. So every time we were talking to clinicians, what exactly is the need, the unmet need in the market or from the clinician side or the nurse side, and we were adding that unmet need back onto the product. So every three, four years, you bring a new generation device to a customer. And even whatever you're doing right now, you have to speak out to your clients. You have to communicate well to your customers that this is what I'm doing right now. This is what I'm going to bring in the next couple of years. Let's say, for example, we are now working with Generation 5 IV catheter. And then you excel in what you are doing. So in terms of quality, in terms of productivity, so you become, a, let's say, a very cost-conscious manufacturer. You become a highly quality-sensitive manufacturer. And then you also bring in innovation into the business. So all these things excite the customer in today's world, where today the biggest challenge is in most of the hospitals, if you say cost is a big challenge in hospitals, the second biggest challenge is infections in the hospitals, the hospital-acquired infections. So if you can address these two big issues in a hospital, 
or in a clinic, I think then they have ears for your products. And I just want to dive back into this theme of that shift of the business back to India. Now, don't get me wrong. I know a large chunk of your business is very much still export, making India an export to the world. And that's been very successful for you. But we know that healthcare penetration in India is sub 10%. I think net spend on healthcare per capita is, I think, even half of the rest of emerging markets. Healthcare is a huge theme in India, and it will be a huge theme in India over the next 50, 100 years. You're clearly very well placed to benefit from this. How do you see it on the ground, the opportunity set in India to kind of grow? So I think there are three, four pointers which are driving us deeper into India. The first thing is the insurance penetration, because I think way back a couple of years ago, government of India announced free insurance scheme for 500 million people. So you can imagine 500 people million have free health care from the government, which is equivalent to around eight to $10,000. But that in India covers a lot of treatments. For example, you can get a bypass surgery done with that amount in India. And it's free and it's paid by the government. So, and then the penetration of insurance in the private sector. So today, all our employees are covered by insurance. So that is also a big game changer. So earlier, all the healthcare expenses were out of pocket, but now it's government has become a payer. And I think that's become a big change. The second change is about the acceptance of products, locally made products in hospitals. So as we have been pushing harder from last so many years, once they see a clinical parlance of the products, I think the acceptance is increasing for Make in India products. The third thing is government's focus to promote medical technology industry in India. So they brought in, let's say, public procurement orders where they give preference to local company, local products. Again, 40% healthcare is with the government. So in government contracts, yes, they give preference to locally made products, which is probably done in many, many countries now uh, across Asia. Also, you have a preference. They've come out with a performance-like incentive scheme for medtech sector, where if you make products in India and you have incremental manufacturing and sales, you will get some incentive out of that. So that's another advantage for locally made products. And I think the fourth point is the regulation. So Indian regulation was streamlined and way back in 2018, and it was been aligned with the best practices in the world. So when you have the best regulatory practices, then there's a confidence of the user that yes, Indian made products also conform to the best regulatory standards. So I think these four changes, I think, were game changes for India in terms of exciting people to make in India, to sell products in India. Agreed. And I think the pandemic, in a weird kind of way, has really shone the light on India as a bit of a healthcare powerhouse. What is it? A fifth or a quarter of the world's vaccines for COVID are being made in India. A lot of the kind of generic drugs that the world consumes have their origins in India. So India is becoming a bit of a healthcare kind of specialist. Now, I know part of the plan for the business over the last few years, and again, it's been impacted by COVID somewhat, is expansion into the US. Now, the US is obviously the last, the big final frontier for you guys. And as you mentioned earlier in the podcast, the biggest med tech companies in the world operate out of the US. So you are going to go toe to toe with these guys. How do you relish that challenge? And what does kind of polymed in the US look like? You've hired, I think, a CEO, haven't you, to kickstart the process? Yeah, so I think we've kick-started the process. I think it was also a learning for us, like what is different in the U.S. compared to the rest of the world. 
So I think what medical devices are used in, let's say, in Europe or India or rest of the world are not used in the U.S. They are very different. The way the U.S. market works is also very different. In Europe is fragmented because we have a very deep presence in Europe. It's a fragmented market. Every country operates differently. Every country has their own purchasing program, and it's not unified. So it could be different purchase. Like in Germany, there could be 20, 30 purchasing groups operating. Or in Italy, it could be tendering system. France could be very different. Each hospital would have its own procurement process. Whereas in the U.S., it's more about the large GPOs, which call the roost, basically. What is a GPO, sorry? The group purchasing organizations. Okay. So they purchase for very, very large hospitals. For example, Mekisons of the world, Cardinals of the world, Medlines of the world, they would distribute, they buy the products and distribute, and they have a great distribution reach. So in U.S., it's all about distribution reach, management of inventory, and then also how you, let's say, connect with the customers. So you need a lot of people on the ground to do that. So what we were doing is also trying to understand what products could move faster and what would be slow movers in the U.S. market, not necessarily what we sell in today, let's say Germany or U.K. would sell in the U.S. So we did our market studies. We have done benchmarking studies with the key competitors in the market. And now we have applied for FDA approvals for our products. And hopefully by, let's say, early next year, end of this year, early next year, we'll have a few approvals in place. And we have also, what we have done is, we have in the process of hiring more people in the U.S., and especially people who understand R&D and who understand the clinical side of the business, so that we exactly know what nurses are looking for, the doctors are looking for. If we go with a product and say, oh, hey, we don't use this product because this is not what we use currently, because it's very difficult to change practice in the U.S. So only way you can do it is go to large GPOs, tell them this is what we have in, in our hand. Can you put this also product in your, let's say, in your catalog? And then can you also showcase to the hospitals? And then gradually your people, your reps, will start going to the hospitals, start training nurses, doctors, talk to them and say, can you indent a few pieces and try them out? It's a long down process, but I think we had to start one day. But today we are ready, much more, I would say, complete in terms of our regulatory quality innovation, where we can say, okay, now we are ready and we can do it, actually. We are more confident than we had probably in the past five, seven years. Best of luck as you embark on that journey and be keeping a, a very close eye on you and keenly watching on. You are a listed business. And I think one theme that I wanted to touch on today is that of ESG, because I know it's something that your shareholders and shareholders all over the world are taking more and more interest in. And of course, much of what you produce is single-use plastic. It's medical waste, so it can't be recycled in most instances. But ESG is something you are taking incredibly seriously and how you kind of make your business more green and sustainable. Can you kind of give us an insight into some of the things you're thinking about from an ESG perspective in how you're trying to make the business better, I suppose, for the environment? Ben, this is a great question. And I think we are all concerned about the environment. And we as a medical device company, we are caught in that bind that we need to make products which are single use, which are consumables, which are made out of plastics, because today in medical field, plastics are very inert material, though don't react with the drugs. So whatever drugs are passing through the plastics or whatever, let's say, body fluids are passing through plastics, they are inert. So it's the most recommended product to be used, let's say, plastic for medical treatments, for medical consumables. But I think what we are trying to do here is look at plastics which are biodegradable. A lot of plastics which we used to use earlier, like PVC, is not a biodegradable material. 
and a lot of these countries, especially in Northern Europe, are moving away from products which are not biodegradable. Then again, it's about packaging because these are medical devices. We have to really put a lot of packaging material out there. Let's say primary packaging, secondary packaging, tertiary packaging. So you're wasting a lot of paper and plastic in packaging. So can we cut down on packaging? Let's say without disturbing the efficacy of the product. So we are working on that area and we are working with certain, let's say, research institutes where they have alternated to current non-biodegradable plastics. And can we move over to these kind of products, which have never been done before? So it's a very different manufacturing process because when you use PVC and certain other plastics, very easy to bond them because there are technologies to glue them, bond them, to fix them together. But when you use different kind of plastics, the whole technology process changes. So it, it needs investment in technology, which we are doing it right now. We are also now doing a lot of water recycling in our plants so that whatever waste water is being generated, we're recycling it, again, using it, the whole water. So we are trying to con- less and less consume water because groundwater is scarce in India now. Even the water supply is scarce. And how do we not pollute the, the groundwater? So whatever water we are discharging also is fully recycled water, which is even a discharge water as much as possible. We are using, trying to use as much as green energy as possible. So we are putting solar panels on our plants and trying to generate green energy. We are trying to, you know, use natural light as much as possible so we can burn less light. We are trying to make the products more compact so that when we pack them in boxes, we use less boxes to pack more products so that we waste less paper. And even during transportation, can we bulk up the products? in transportation, because if you're transporting on a truck or a container, you're still burning oil, carbon fuel. So how can you even bulk up the products? So we are doing all that stuff today to ensure that, like, for example, this year's theme is to reduce paper and plastic consumption by 3% over the same products we made last year in packaging and manufacturing. How can we do that? So can we make the products lighter without impacting the products? So we use less plastics. So 3% is a big number, actually, to commit. So every year, if you can commit some number, so you have to assign some number to your business and say, I'm going to achieve this. This is my target. I'm going to buy this much of green energy. So even we are looking at buying green energy for, let's say we are going to the grid and talking to those people and say, can we buy more green energy from you? The companies which are producing solar energy, can we buy that energy or wind energy? Can we buy those green energies from you in manufacturing? We are conscious of this fact that we need to reduce this carbon footprint of plastics, what we are doing, paper we are using, and how much less we can consume every day. Though we cannot change the user practice in terms of using medical devices, it's very hard to do that. But I think with today's world, and I think what changing technology, awareness what has come out today, I think with this environmental responsibility, of course, as socially, we are very responsible uh, we have adopted many schools around, uh, do a lot of community work around us. So I think that's also very important. And I'm very proud to say that the chairman of our company, Mr. D.R. Mehta, he runs a foundation called Jaipur Foot, which is very, very globally famous. And they put 20,000 feet free of charge to people who come there, people who don't have feet foot today. They come to this organization and get a free foot. And they are given money to do business. They're not left on the streets to beg, basically, those people. So the chairman of our company is the founder of that organization. So you can imagine the kind of philanthropy which is built in our minds over a period of time. And so we continue to work in that area. 
and happy to take more ideas from people around us, from our customers. And I think the customers also bring a change in you because people are pushing today to go green as much as possible. You guess you have it from all angles, right? Your shareholders, your customers. And look, if every listed business in India can adopt a 3% target year on year for cutting CO2 emissions or cutting plastic use, then we will start to see big changes in relatively short space of time. Correct. Then one thing I want to add, because the new generation today, which is coming in in India, new educated people, I think they are very, very conscious about environment. So I think things are going to change as we see, but I think it's going to take 15, 20 years. And fortunately, we have a great prime minister who's been thinking about clean energy from a very long time. And India has made some goals for green energy. So I think overall it comes from the top and I think it started to percolate now to even to industries, to common people like us. And I think we are also getting more aware of this. No, it's great to see. And I think conscious of time, and we'll need to wrap things up relatively soon, but my listeners will know this. The one question I tend to ask every guest that comes on the show is, what would you like our listeners to think differently about India? You've clearly traveled the world over in your capacity as kind of head of Polymedicure. What kind of myths have you had to bust along the way to clients in here in Europe or in the US or wherever about India? And how would you like my listeners to think differently? If they could think one thing about India going forward, what would you say that thing should be? I think India has changed a lot in the last, I would say, decade. And I think there are a lot of changes I can list, but I think I'll go with a few things. I think one thing is the digital penetration in India. You know, the way internet has moved in the last two, three years to the masses. I think because of that, a lot of awareness is coming in people in terms of healthcare, in terms of cleanliness, in, in terms of environment. So all these things are percolating very quickly because of internet penetration. Plus, we have a large pool of educated population, English-speaking population. So I think because of that, I think India offers great opportunities for companies who want to do business in India because a lot of people speak English. There's no communication gap. And also, because we have 1.3 billion people and the infrastructure is improving, I think what people saw India 10 years ago and what people see India now is a big change in terms of infrastructure. So with education, with good communication skills, with internet spreading out very, very deeply into the country, I think today a lot of payments are online made by people through their cell phones, which was never heard of, let's say, two, three years ago. So I think a lot of revolution changes have come in India. India is very open, I would say, country as a country, as a culture. We're very open, very receptive. And, you know, and we work in a multicultural environment. Today in my company, I'm not looking at, yes, I'm going to hire only these people from this culture or this background or this religion. No, it doesn't happen like that. You are going on merit. So you find people on merit, and it's very easy to find people on merit because of the changing education system we have. Because all education is going, a lot of technology is getting added into education now. So things are changing, I would say. You find good, great engineers, good innovators. All my engineers are in India. Polymer has got 300 patents. So everything has been designed and made in India. So I'm very proud to say that. It's really an amazing success story. And I know you're leaders in your field within the med tech space. And you obviously have big, big ambitions for the next decade and beyond. So we're all very excited to see what's next for Polymed. We're going to leave it there, but 
we could talk forever about everything that you do and it's so wide ranging, but perhaps for another time. But thank you so much, Hamanchu, for joining me today and I can't wait to speak with you again soon. Thank you, Ben. Thank you so much for having me on the show. You have been listening to Inside India with me, Ben Haywood. If you like what you have heard, make sure to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or indeed, wherever you might listen. Don't forget to leave a review and a rating and tell us about your favorite episode. We will be back with a brand new episode in two weeks' time. Until then, stay safe.